I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Jonathan Moles, and you're listening to FT Startup Stories, a 10-part series on the challenges of growing a business from idea to exit. Matt Johnson. An American entrepreneur based in London co-founded Bear Conductive in 2011 with the aim of commercialising a conductible paint he had developed as part of his industrial design degree at the Royal College of Art. He told me the story at his office opposite Spitalfields Market on the edge of the City of London. We actually started by proposing an electrically conductive paint that was non-toxic and really easy to use and now I realise the kind of crucial initial innovation was making it accessible to anybody. So conductive inks and paints already existed, but by putting it in this kind of consumer-friendly 50 milliliter jar and making it easy to use, we were saying experiment with it. We were initially really interested in what at the time was called e-textiles, now probably would be called wearables. And so we liked the idea of integrating electronics into clothing or really intimately close to the body but we recognized that some of the infrastructure required for them was really heavy. The wiring was heavy, the connectors were heavy, so what if you could print the circuit onto the fabric itself? And when did it turn from a project to something you wanted to make into a business? I think if I'm totally honest about it, we kind of begrudgingly realized that. We got quite a bit of attention on different blogs. People were covering the student project, and then we just kept receiving emails with people saying, can I buy it? Honestly, it took a couple thousand emails before we were willing to at least accept the idea that we might be able to sell something to somebody. The project was not oriented around making a product. Now you sell a number of products around this. Can you explain what sort of markets are you tapping? Sure. So we still sell our paint, which is called electric paint, and we sell it in a couple different formats, in a jar and in a small tube. But like a copper wire, the paint is effectively useless unless you have hardware, right? So you can have a battery in an LED and it lights up. It works basically like a wire. But a much more interesting use of the paint is as a sensor, So we sell a bit of hardware called the touchboard, which is a small PCB. You can connect a pad of electric paint to it, or in fact anything conductive, and turn it into a touch or proximity sensor. The type of sensing is called capacitive sensing. It's actually the same way that touchscreens work on smartphones and trackpads work. It's just we're breaking it out from that screen into the real world. And what are people using this for? Oh boy, there's a variety of things. You know, initially we were really focused on what you would call the maker movement. Education has started to pull from the maker movement, so we have a lot of teachers using the products in the classroom. But in terms of what people are doing with it, it's as diverse as people repairing their model train sets, you know, with the tube, because it's a great way to make electrical connections without heat, so you don't damage uh, tiny plastic parts. We have people making large interactive installations in retail spaces uh, because the sensors work really well when they're integrated into architecture. 
we have a number of business-to-business projects that see the sensors as a way to track people or objects through a space. So there's a huge diversity. One of your stories, which I wanted to talk about, was an issue that came up with Chinese copying of this technology. Can you tell me what happened and what the outcome was there? Sure. So the PCB that we're currently selling is called the Touchboard, and Mm. it's based on an open source standard called Arduino. Right. So this is open source hardware, and our touchboard is produced under open source rules, which means that we'll happily give you the files and tell you how to produce the items yourself. The only caveat is you're not allowed to call them a bare conductive touchboard. That's very standard, which is essentially just giving credit where it's due, because we started on top of a platform that was already very strong. What we found was sometime last year, I think it was maybe July or something like that, We had a user on a forum who seemed to be struggling to get his board to work. And luckily, one of the forum members is a friend of ours, was paying enough attention to realize something was up, requested Mm. a photo, and from the photo, it was clear that this was not actually our product. He emailed me and he said, hey, I think you should go to this forum and take a look because I think this is a clone. You know, in the open source world, the open source hardware world, that is almost a sign that you've done well, right? If you've had enough success to be worth copying, that says something. So it was both exciting and frustrating. Frustrating because we don't want people buying something thinking it's ours and then being really disappointed with it. Um, So it was not necessarily about people taking revenue, but actually damaging the brand. So... Certainly, taking business away from us is obviously a concern, but our first concern was damaging the brand. And part of the reason is that, you know, in 2013, the beginning of 2013, we were just manufacturing an electrically conductive paint. And then we ran a Kickstarter to launch the touchboard. We raised 123,000 pounds, and we were looking for 15. So it very much exceeded our expectations. And for us, that, that... level of success was a sign that the market was willing to accept us moving from making a chemical, which our paint is, to a piece of hardware. And that, as a business, it's a huge conceptual shift. So to have somebody then compromise the image of the product in its first year of being on sale to the public, you know, is scary for the brand. We want people to say, wow, you guys make beautiful hardware. We don't want people to buy some junk that looks like ours and then think, oh, these guys should go back to just making paint. And then it costs enormous amount of money to chase those things down. You're a nine-person outfit above a shop in East London. What do you do? First, we reached out to the most active members of our community and we said, have you seen these things around? Help us track them down. So practically speaking, we were able to find where the boards were being sold but we don't have any native Chinese speakers in the studio. So we went to members of our community in China and said, you're our friends, help us out. And I think that they felt flattered and excited to help. So they very quickly figured out, okay, this is who's actually manufacturing the board. This is where we think they got the files from. This is where, you know, they really helped us understand the depth of the problem. Then what we did was we went to our attorneys and told them what was going on. Luckily, we have trademarking in China, so we could send a very strongly worded letter saying you're infringing our trademarks. That was something that our attorneys had suggested we do two or three years ago, and I'm very glad that we did that. 
you know, we have very comprehensive trademarking there, which was an expensive investment at that time, but it was a great decision. And then the last thing was to get the word out publicly. So I wrote up the experience in a few articles and put them in different places just to help explain the way we view this as a business. Uh, one of the interesting results of this is that their product, their clone, was only 30% less than our product. Right. right. So typically you would have a clone that was half price or less, you know, very aggressively discounted, which showed to the market that, guess what, we're pricing very, very fairly. On top of that, we also produced a couple of really nice infographics that explained the differences between the clone and our board, and then distributed that on our network. And lots of our open hardware friends were great about helping get that word out. So it was just about activating the community. And what happened as a result of that? Did you manage to close down the Chinese copying? Before we got the word out, I think we only had four or five instances of customers who had bought a clone thinking it was ours. Mm. And they had emailed us because it wasn't working. Because from what we could tell, they weren't actually functional. So that, in a sense, was very useful because it immediately signaled if someone had bought a clone. So I think there were four or five that we found... It's hard to estimate how many were produced in total, a few hundred probably. But since getting the word out in the community, we haven't heard a thing. And that's been two months now. So I don't know, come and talk to me in six months. But it seems like it's maybe had a positive effect. Yeah. They're still on sale and we're still trying to get them taken down. They were on sale on Amazon and I went through the process of getting them pulled off of Amazon the issue, specific issue with Amazon is that they're using our trademark names to advertise the product. Mm. And so I had to submit evidence of our IP. And then I think that they were reposted under three different sellers' names, but they don't seem to be back. So they kind of, it was a whack-a-mole for a little while, but now it doesn't seem to have come back. Pavel Piotrovic is an intellectual property lawyer who lectures on the subject at Cambridge's Judge Business School. I asked him if there were any practical tips for companies that find themselves in a similar situation to Bear Conductive. Well, you have to think about what are you trying to achieve at the end. You know, there's got to be a commercial aim. And remember that going to the court, that can be very expensive. And another thing to also realise is that actually a lot of cases don't go to court. And actually they're settled or you come to some other accommodation for example, a license agreement, that might mean that actually you get a win-win situation. And in Bear Conductive's case, it's quite interesting because they didn't need to go into court. And why? Because there was an inferior product, and by using positive selling, using their reputation, they managed to achieve an outcome which was much cheaper and didn't have to go down that court route. For fledgling businesses... This whole area of intellectual property just seems like a black hole that sucks in money. Are there any tips for people of how they can do this well and do it efficiently? I think you have to use a bit of intelligence and actually think, what am I trying to achieve? And is it appropriate for my business? So, for example, if you're a high-tech company with a single product that is going to have quite a long lifetime, you know, getting a patent is probably going to be very high on your priority list. Why? Because that patent will ultimately protect your main source of income. However, if you've got a product that's very short-lived or could be easily copied or is going to be changed so many times that patent won't be able to protect it in the long term, then actually getting patent protection might not be so important. 
The other thing also, Jonathan, to think about is, are there other forms of intellectual property rights that could help to protect you? For example, designs or copyright. So really the idea is to think about, in a wider context, all the different types of intellectual property rights that could help you, and then select the ones that's appropriate for your business. Back to Bear Conductive's Matt Johnson. How does he feel about his experience and the way he responded? You know, if we, if we talk in a year and it's done some major damage to the business that I didn't anticipate, I don't think I'll reflect on my attitude today as being Pollyannish. Mm. I think I'll reflect on it as saying, well, we racked our brains and did everything that we could possibly do to try to fix this. As long as I feel like there's nothing left on the table, move on. What are you particularly proud about, maybe you did, that you tell others in a similar situation to follow? I think the thing that I'm most proud about in this business is the conceptual work of taking a student project whose major criticism was there's no application, right? That was a criticism we received from our tutors, is that it's an interesting concept, but what is this for? Who needs this? And our answer was always, well, people seem really excited, and they know what the applications seem to seem to know what the applications are taking that really abstract vague thing and turning it into something that now provides value in business to business relationships and i think that has taken a huge amount of work next week we look at how a glasgow based couple turned around their startup venture which had been flatlining for years turning it into a global operation in the process To catch up on previous episodes of FT Startup Stories or read more on entrepreneurship and business education, go to our special page, ft.com forward slash startup. You can also take up our offer of a 25% discount on a subscription to the Financial Times by going to ft.com forward slash startup offer. Until next time, goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.